0: Come on if you're a believer let's give him a mighty praise tonight come on lift your voice for a great praise unto the Lord for he is great and he is greatly to be praised God we honor you tonight and we are so thankful for the presence of the Lord that is in this house what I keep feeling is that there's just some people probably more than one that you just need peace in your life over a situation. Would you list? raise your hand if you need peace over a situation in your life? Would you raise your hand, please? Father, as your son, as your covenant son, I am not a beggar. I come to you as a believer. God, knowing what I feel and the power of the Spirit, I speak peace to every hand that was raised tonight. Peace in their mind, peace in their spirit. In the name of the Lord. And peace for their body. Because God, you are that. You are the Prince of Peace. And you don't want us walking in turmoil and chaos and frustration. You want us walking in peace. And I speak that in the name of Jesus. And say, I receive it. I receive it. Come on, you can do better than that. Say, I receive receive
1: that.
0: Hallelujah. I I receive it. Because I'm going to tell you, money can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy peace. That's right. Only God can give you that. Thank you. As you just remain standing, I just want to give honor to whom honors due. Once again, Lauren, thank you, and Sissy, and our team, and Brother David. Thank you for putting this sound of Psalm series together. I thought it went really, really well, and the handouts, and I do appreciate. Brother David. As I said earlier, I've been in meetings most of the day with attorneys, and I have appreciated Brother David being able to help me. And he does a great job teaching God's Word. I mean, really does a great job. So he's going to be teaching tonight out of Psalm 91. So if you can get your handout, that should be around for you guests. There should be a handout for you in the back of your pew. You take that, it's yours to keep. And if you find a pen, I think a pen should be there as well. Take the pen. You can take the pen home with you. And so we're going to have a great night tonight. Thank all of you for being here. Sunday's going to be a great day. It's going to be a a marvelous day for Sunday. So I hope to see all of you. God bless you, Brother Grigsby. Thank
1: you, sir. Amen. Aren't you thankful for your pastor? Amen. Thankful for him. You can be seated. And uh, I know that I would normally read a text, but I'm going to start a little differently today. But I do thank uh, Pastor for allowing me, trusting me to be up here. And hopefully what we're going to do tonight is dive into the word of the Lord. Everybody say the word of the Lord. There are different ways that we teach. There's different ways that we preach. Um, I don't want to go into all of that, but what we've been doing a lot on Wednesday night is exposition. Everybody say exposition. Exposition. How many of you know what that word means? Okay. Expository teaching. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to slow down and I know that's, you know, that's uh, maybe a little change if you're used to. And, uh, uh, you know, spit and speed does not necessarily mean there's an anointing. Right. Did you hear that? I said, spit and speed doesn't mean there's necessarily an anointing. But what we want to do is we want to let the Word do the work. Yes. Amen? How many of you ever read Psalms 91? You've heard it. You've quoted it. It's probably maybe on your grandmother's wall on some plaque, bumper sticker, refrigerator somewhere. But I hope tonight we look at it a little differently. So uh, just turn there and actually look at Psalms 90 as well. We're going to look at Psalms 90 and we're going to look at Psalms 91. Okay. And uh, we're going to actually look at this together. So there's a lot of people that may not know this, but most scholars believe that Psalms 91 is actually connected to Psalms 90. While Psalms 91 is not assigned an author, Psalms 90 is, and it is Moses. Now think about that, right? Moses, everybody say Moses. Yes, the guy that wrote the first five, or the majority of the first five books of the Old Testament, depending on what scholar you listen to. He wrote the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, but he also wrote some Psalms. And so Psalms 90 is a Psalm of Moses, and so most people believe that Psalms 91 is actually connected to Psalms 90, and Moses wrote that as well. So essentially, without us reading all of it, Psalms 90 serves as a challenge to the hearer to find encouragement, to find true strength in their relationship with God alone. Everyone say God alone. alone. Regardless of what the world looks like or what's going on in their own personal world. So the basic point being made in Psalms 90 is that God's people should look away from the apparent crisis of their present situation. Think about where Moses is at, but think about us today, right? And see that their ultimate security that they have The only security that they have is because of their covenantal relationship with the Creator God. Amen? So Psalms 91 continues that line of thought by painting a very vivid and graphic picture of the individual who chooses to trust. Everybody say trust. But we're trusting in God alone. I'm going to say that over and over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers... I think this room is filled with mature believers, and I think that you've lived long enough. There's some young people here today, so you're going to learn this as well. But you're going to get to a point in your life where you're going to realize that everything else is going to let you down but God. Amen? Anybody with me? Some, Some elders here with me? Everything in this world, no matter how much you love it, invest in it, take care of it, it's all going to let you down. And that's what Moses is trying to express to Israel. Israel, everything that you look at around you that you think is going to help you is not going to help you in the long run. The only one that's going to take care of you is Jehovah God. Amen? So Psalms 91 is a beautiful, it's a reassuring psalm. Promises of safety, victory honor flow out of these verses. And we're going to read some of these verses. But there's another aspect of study here, especially for this Psalms 91 and it's, it's context. Everybody say context. context. Almost all scholars. And I spent quite a bit of time in preparing tonight looking at a lot of different commentaries and scholars will actually tell you that this Psalm was not written to a general audience. This was not just written to anyone. This is actually a royal psalm that is written to the kingly lineage of David. So what about us, David? Why would we study something? Why would we talk about something that is not written specifically to us? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because like many Old Testament promises, the wonder of this Bible is that this it demonstrates to us that all the blessings of the Psalms and the rest of this entire scripture are indeed ours. They're not ours by our own physical nature, by our own lineage of being a Gentile. We, By our own sinful nature, we don't deserve them, but they are unequivocally ours in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Every promise in this book is ours because of Jesus Christ. Why? Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, disobedience, so also by one man's obedience. Everyone say obedience. So Jesus Christ has purchased uh, every promise in the book that we have in front of us through his obedience all the way unto the cross. Remember this verse, we keep going back to it. I've, I've talked two or three times and some way it just keeps finding its way back into our Bible study and our message. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is a commentary on Psalms 91. It is by our union in Christ. Everybody say that with me. It is by our union in Christ that every believer has access to the astonishing promises of Psalms 91. They are ours in Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, they're yours. High five your other neighbor and say, they're yours. But they're only yours through Christ. Amen? I said, they're only yours through Christ. If you look at Psalms 91, most people will break it up into three sections. I put it there in your notes. Verses 1 through 4, the hidden life. Verses 5 through 13, the protected life. Verses 14 through 16, the satisfied life. If you look at your Bible, just turn there at Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely, surely he will deliver me out of the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And he shall cover us with his feathers. And under his wings shall you take refuge. I love the end of verse four. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. The most important part of the believer's life is the part that God sees in personal relationship of communion. Pastor preached to us, and if you weren't here Sunday, I'd I adjure you to go back and listen to that message because it's only in communion. Verse one especially is pointing us to a place of intimacy, of relationship. Everybody say relationship. These words that you see here, dwell, shelter, rest, shadow, echo the idea of God as a dwelling place, just like in Psalms 90. Psalms 90 encourages its hearers consciously to find their rest and their security in God. And Psalms 91 now responds to that. So often as in the Psalms, 91 begins with a simple statement of faith in this opening verse. And this statement drives us and it provides for us a a summary of of the continuation of this poem. So choosing to dwell in the shadow of God, the Most High, leads to a position of rest under His protective care. To be in the shadow of someone, you must be in close proximity to that person. If you're in the shadow of a person, it's most likely a very intimate distance. And just like pastor preached to us on Sunday, there must be a union. There must be an intertwining of relationship that comes out of deep intimacy and I'm sure because this is Moses' prayer he had his mind when he wrote this uh, on the holy of holies in the tabernacle and the wings of those angels that were bent over touched uh, and they covered the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant Uh, and when the blood was applied the priest would go in one time of year uh, and the blood would be there and the sacrifice would be there uh, and the incense would be there and the glory of God would meet that priest uh, right in that place. But ladies and gentlemen, I know that seems a long ways off. But now Jesus Christ has become our mercy seat. Romans 3 says that we are being justified freely by His grace through redemption that in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation. That word literally means mercy seat. Now get this. If you don't understand that word and it's a long theological term, just think about it from this way. Jesus has provided for you and I a wrath-removing sacrifice. No, you didn't get that. You sung it on the first song. Uh, You're thankful for the blood of Jesus that took away all your sins. Uh, But to understand that, what you're singing there, you've got to understand this. Uh, Jesus Christ has become our mercy seat. Uh, In other words, he has become the the wrath-removing sacrifice. Uh, God's wrath was against my sin. Uh, But because of what Jesus Christ uh, has done on the cross, uh, no longer does God look at me through my but he looks at me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and now the barrier between me and God a holy, pure and perfect God has been removed and now I stand in perfect righteousness not my own righteousness but through the righteousness and the blood and the perfected sacrifice of what Jesus Christ has done for me Ladies and gentlemen, we have to get this. we got to get a hold of this. Uh, This is the very core of our salvation. Uh, This grants us access into an intimate place with God. Uh, There is no way. There is no place. There is nothing. On your best day, you could not get in the presence of God. Uh, On your most holy day, you could not get in the presence of God. Uh, It's only by the blood uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's only by the righteousness of of Jesus Christ grace, grace remember what I preached a couple weeks ago grace is not a license to sin grace gets me access to a holy God and he can look at me and love on me in an intimate way it's only in a close proximation that God now gathers us I wasn't going to stand up and do that It's only in a close, when I think about the grace of God, though. I said, when I think about the grace of God, I said, when I think about the grace of God, it's God's grace that woke me up this morning. It's God's grace that even put me in this room tonight and put breath in my body. It's God's grace that puts me in a place of intimate relationship with God. If you look closely here at these first two verses, you see more, you see Four different names of God being used. Why would he do this? Why would he not just use one? He uses four. He is the most whole. He is the most high. He is El Elyon. It's first used in Genesis 14 where Abraham encounters Melchizedek. We don't have time for that. But he's saying to us that he is the God that is higher than any kings of the earth. And the false gods of any nation. He is the Almighty under the shadow of the Almighty. That means he is my El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient God who is more than enough for every situation. I said, he's more than enough for every situation. Uh, he is the Lord. Uh, he is the covenant-keeping Jehovah God, uh, who is faithful to all of his promises. Uh, Moses said to, to him in the burning bush, uh, he said, if I go back, what do I? who, who do I tell him sent me? Uh, and God spoke to him out of the burning bush. Uh, and he said, I am that I am has sent you. Uh, what was he saying? Uh, he said, Moses, if you'll tell those elders uh, I am has sent you, they'll know exactly uh, that you have encountered the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he spoke those words he was literally saying I am the beginningless and endless creator of the universe all time and space finds itself in me and if all time and space finds itself in me then all power in this universe is found in me he is simply God Verse 2, verse 9. He is Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim. He is the powerful God whose greatness and glory surpasses anything that we can imagine. This is the God. Everybody say, this is the God who invites us into fellowship with him. This hidden life. It's what Pastor was, was tugging on us this week with in this sermon. I, I Again, I ask you to go back and watch that and listen to it. This hidden life is a life of worship and obedience. Let me say that again. It's a life of worship and obedience. Only out of the hidden life of intimacy with God can a public life of service truly be seen. One person put it this way. Public demonstration in the spirit can only come out of private devotion. If we don't have a place of private devotion, we will never see a place of public demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. The second part of verse 2 is so important to this entire chapter. Look at it. My God in whom I will trust. It's the theme here. He is writing this poem to engender trust among the people of God. To generate a deeply rooted and determined desire. To find their ultimate security in their relationship. This word here is Elohim. We just talked about it. Rather than any external source of security. So the declaration of this verse, chapter of verse 2 and 91, is a clear statement of proper focus. It's not enough that people have trust. For faith is not an abstract entity. It is the object of our trust that is important. It's not enough just to have faith. It's understanding who I have faith in. I have faith not in something, but I have faith in someone. I have faith in God himself and nothing less. Verse 3, surely he will deliver you. Surely he would deliver. Surely Yahweh... The God of the covenant will rescue his people regardless of the danger that threatens them. The he here is very emphatic. Again the poet is being very explicit about the correct object of one's trust. He goes on to paint a picture of this world's full of wide variety of dangers. A fouler snare some of us don't even know what that is. A deadly pestilence. Just think plague which suggests threats from devious plotting of other people and disease. But verse 4 says this and I love this uh, his truth shall be your shield and your buckler how do I know look at your neighbor and say how do you know you can trust God how do you know that you can trust God and his promises the word here for truth in the original language literally means faithfulness reliability trustworthiness a state or condition of being dependable and loyal to a person or standard. What is he saying here? He is saying that God's faithfulness and reliability has become our covering and our protection. Right. Mm, you, you, no, you didn't hear me. You didn't. Hear, I know it's Wednesday night, but you didn't hear me. He's saying that God's faithfulness and reliability has become our protection. In other words, it's not what we do ourselves. Uh, it's not our faithfulness to God. Uh, no, no, no. It's God's faithfulness to us. Even when we're not faithful to God. No, I'm talking about a covenant-keeping God. I'm talking about a God that keeps His promise no matter if I don't keep my promise or not. Does God still want me to keep my promise? Absolutely. Is God calling us to be faithful? Absolutely. But He's saying, even though you're not faithful, I still have the ability to cover you and protect you out of my faithfulness. So the object of my faith is not a thing. It's a person. It is the covenant God of Israel. It's not my feeble attempt at faithfulness, even though he calls us to faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness that is our covering. The shield, that this covering, this shield here, the word here for shield, is large enough to cover the entire person. Oh, now listen, listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. Brother Carlton, get up here real quick. Hurry, hurry. I'm going to try to stand up. My wife is praying right now while, I'm, while she's watching. It's literally a shield that completely covers the person that's standing next to it. I wish I had somebody even bigger, like like three of you guys, and just wrap yourself around me. But this is literally what the Word says. Now listen to me very carefully. He's saying that God, the God that I trust in, is a shield and not even a shield. If you go deeper into the root word here, it literally means fortress or embankment. No, you didn't get that. See what we're thinking about is shield. See, we wouldn't watch it too many movies. Shield on somebody's arm, right? And you just throw it up, and you hope somebody blocks a blow from a sword. No, God's saying, if you'll trust me, I'll be a covering to you that is so complete that the enemy can't even see you. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. You got to get a hold of this. <laughs> In other words, if I position myself in relationship with God in a secret place, God's faithfulness will become a fortress to me. And if the enemy is going to try to get to me, then he's got to go around God's faithfulness. I said he's got to go around and through or over the faithfulness of God that surrounds me. Oh, you should shout right now. I said you should shout right now. I'm talking about the God that you serve. The God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor to the error that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. These verses here. Look at them very carefully in your Bible. Look down. Just pretend you're looking at your Bible. Look at your device. Alliance, look at your device. These verses here speak directly to our fear. Fear is something that none of us are exempt from in our humanity. Now listen very carefully. I don't have time for this, but listen to this very carefully. Isn't it interesting that most of the things that the psalmist is talking about here are unseen? An impending sense of fear in the middle of darkness. How many of you have ever been, as a kid, you're afraid in the dark? Anybody? As an adult. Right? Yeah. Somebody, you're like, yeah, yeah. Get dropped off at 5 o'clock in the morning on an 8,000 acre ranch with no cell service trying to find a deer stand and you start to hear things brother sam you know what i'm talking about you just you start to hear things and you know what they're unseen isn't it interesting that ladies and gentlemen in the day that we live in the worlds that we live the lives that we live that many of our fears are unseen There's a reason that he's using this graphic imagery because of the original context. His audience understood all of this and they could easily live in fear of all the things that were happening to them. And so the point of this imagery, of course, for us is that the life of the believer does not have to be, tell your neighbor, it doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be lived in a life of fear and worry. Now, I'm not saying it, it it's not, but it doesn't have to be, right? Although the future may well contain untold dangers, the believer's trust must be in a God who is most high, who is almighty, who is in control of every experience in every situation. So the individual who trusts in him need not live a life marked by fear of the future. I tell you what, I'm giving up on the news because every time that you click on the news on your phone or the headlines, everything is negative. You want to know why? It's that way on purpose. You want to know why it's that way on purpose? Because they are feeding off of our fear. It's proven fact. Just want to let you know. I don't have time to go into it, but it's proven. Social media is driven by rage on one side or the other. So when I read the news headlines, I must remind myself there is nothing outside of the control of Almighty God. China threatening to shoot down an American senator. There's nothing outside of the control of Almighty God. North Korean, using, launching nuclear weapons. There is nothing outside of the control of Almighty God. Russia infringing and invading whatever country they want to invade. There's nothing outside of the control of Almighty God. Whether it's the Russian army or the ant army in your backyard, nothing is out of control of Almighty God. How do I know this? When I get afraid and overwhelmed, I'm reminded of the poem and the song that Paul wrote to the Colossians. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven, things in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all All things have been created through him and for him. And he was before all things and in him all things hold together. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing on this created earth, either seen or unseen, more powerful than the one who created it all. It speaks directly to our fear. Yes. Look at your neighbor and slap him on the head. Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wake up. Yes. Come on, slap the other neighbor and say, wake up. wake up. Don't be afraid. It's interesting here that the root word of afraid in the original language also means, this is very, this is very interesting to me, a deep concern of unfavorable circumstance. The psalmist is assuring us that we have the ability to not live in fear because God's favor surrounds us like a shield. But, verse 9, look at verse 9 in your Bible. But if you have made the Lord, I put that if there, Because some versions have if, in other words, because you have made or if you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. What is he saying? He's saying, if you have made God your dwelling place, if you have. This is a reflection of verse 1 and good reason. Although this verse is quite difficult to translate, the point is clear. God must be a dwelling place for his people. A refuge, a place of security, even in the dark and troubled times. And this is a spiritual understanding. Everybody say, this is spiritual. You want to know why the world... Does it look at the headlines that are in the news the same way that you look at them? Because they're not looking at it through a spiritual lens. Are you hearing me? They're not looking at it through a spiritual lens. Although this imagery may find its roots associated to the temple during that time. Verse 9 points to a spiritual reality that transcends physical protection. This image enlarges the horizon above time and space. Anyone who trusts God has the right to safety. Let me say that again. Anyone who trusts God has the right to safety. Let's read verse 10. Though no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Whether literal or symbolic, these verses present the believer as triumphant over all of these troubles. The language here of treading and trampling frequently symbolizes Military victory. Thus granting to one who takes refuge in Yahweh a particular status. Now hear me very carefully. And I try to put this in your notes. But I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else. He comes. God comes to represent. And he is the one who fights against the chaos. Amen. That's what this literally means. He's the God who fights against The chaos. Lest we have forgotten, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are in a spiritual warfare. For we walk not in the flesh, Paul says. Uh, We do not war according to the flesh. uh, But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty in God pulling down what? Strongholds. The chief enemy's tactic is to create chaos in our spiritual lives. And if we allow chaos to take root, it's going to turn into a stronghold. A stronghold can be a way of thinking. It can be a past identity that we can't seem to shake. It could be a generational tradition that keeps us from fully understanding the grace of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, a stronghold is a place of fear. A stronghold uh, is a place of condemnation. A stronghold is a place uh, of dark secrecy. It's a place where we can allow the voice of the enemy to create chaos in our faith. But the Bible says, the psalmist is saying, time out. This is the God who has come to fight against all of the chaos in your life. (laughs) We need to fight with spiritual weapons daily to pull down the strongholds of our chaotic thinking. God wants to bring order to our chaos. You know what strongholds are? They're a mindset in our mind. Some of us need to lay hands on our head. Why don't you do that right now? We need to pull down the strongholds that the enemy has tried to put into our mind. If you are living in a place of chaos, in other words, if your marriage is in chaos, if your children are in chaos, if your finances are in chaos, if your job is in chaos, the enemy will come into that chaos and try to create a stronghold. Who am I preaching to right now? But you got to understand the God that you serve. And you've got to take the word of God and you've got to turn it around as a weapon against the enemy that's in that stronghold and say, devil, you're not going to win the war here. You're not going to win the the war in my marriage you're not going to win the war with my children you're not going to win the war in my finances you're not going to win the war in my health i'm pulling down stronghold 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 why because i got a god who's bringing order to my chaos the god who wants to bring order to your chaos you know what some of you need to do? Some of you need to go home and anoint your house. Come on now. Come on now. I said, some of you, while your school, your children go back to school, you need to go in, your room, in their room and anoint that door, anoint that bed, anoint those windows. Tell the enemy, he's no longer, chaos is not going to rule here. I said, chaos is not going to rule here. Some of you need to go home to your spouse and look them straight in the eye and say, Honey, chaos is not going to rule in this marriage. Why? Because we have a God of peace. I'm casting down every stronghold. I'm casting down every evil imagination. In other words, I try to think a certain way, and it's corrupted by the chaos in my life. I got to get rid of that thinking and say, God, you are the God of order. You are the God who is strategic in your command speak into the chaos of my life and bring order right now maybe I'm just preaching to myself I don't know anybody with me how many of you have been overwhelmed in a situation where you just throw your hands up and say Lord I surrender maybe you're there right now Lord I surrender there's a stack of bills on the table Lord I surrender There's a son or daughter who seems far from home. Lord, I surrender. There's a boss on your job that's giving you absolute heck. But God, I surrender it all to you. Why? You're going to bring order to the chaos. This is the God that I serve. Oh, man. I hope we can get a hold of this. Concept of faith and assurance. Blur. As the most high comes down to offer a level of assurance that goes beyond anything the psalmist can provoke with his words and his images. But only if we're in a place of intimacy. Everybody say intimacy. All of this comes out of relationship. Amen? Amen. Let me say that again. All of this comes out of relationship. Everybody say relationship. relationship. It's interesting to note that it seems that at the end of Psalms 91 becomes the long-awaited answer. Psalms 14, 91, 14. Because he has... Now, now notice something here. Notice something here. The voice has switched. This is someone else talking. This is God talking. Notice what he says. Because he has set his love upon me. Again, level of relationship, right? Right? Therefore, I would deliver him. This is God speaking. And I will set him on high because he has known my name. Verse 15, say this with me. He shall call upon me. Say that with me. He shall call upon me. And I will what? I will answer him. I will what? Be with him where? In trouble. And I would deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show my salvation. Look at verse 15 again. I will be with him in trouble. Now, if we're not careful here, if we're not careful here, we could go through the first 15 verses of this chapter and say, oh, well, if I just have a good relationship with God, he's going to keep me from trouble. Right? I mean, just, you know, face value if I'm reading through this. And don't understand life and everything else. But it could be real easy for us to say, oh, if I'll just have enough faith. If I'll just have a good relationship with God, then nothing bad will happen. But he brings correction to that in verse 15. He says, no, he said, in fact, I want you, I want to remember, I want you to be reminded when you're in trouble, I'm still the same God. No, 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 you didn't hear me. I know we got to close. When you're still in trouble, I have not changed. I want to take in a very important time out because this is something we don't like to talk about. And you may be saying or thinking like I have said, okay, David, I hear what you're saying. But wait a minute. I know plenty of people, me included, who've experienced pain, heartache, sickness, disease, accidents, And even death. This goes to the philosophical concept of the the term is called theodicy. Some of you have maybe never heard that term. But you have heard what it means. It has to do with the age old problem of evil. Everybody say the problem of evil. Philosophers for thousands and hundreds of years have said. If there's evil in the world then there can't be a good God at work in the world. How many of you have ever heard that in college? You've heard that in some frame or so. The problem of evil is this if you believe in a God who is all powerful and sovereign over all the world, and at the same time says he is perfectly good and just, then the existence of evil and suffering poses a problem. In a secular worldview, suffering is an accident and doesn't mean anything at all. But our response, in our response to that, is to avoid suffering at all costs. And minimize the discomfort as much as possible by bettering our social mechanisms. But of course, we all will suffer. No matter how good society has progressed throughout the ages, suffering still takes place. So to the secularist, in other words, a person who does not believe in God, suffering always wins. But the Christian response the person who is in a deep, intimate relationship with God, the Christian response to suffering is that suffering is real. But that when I face it head on with a right understanding, I will understand that there can be a purpose in my suffering. Now, I want to I help us here. The double truths that ground the Christian response are first. We exist to glorify God. We do not exist to glorify ourselves. God did not create us to make us happy. And second, the God of the universe enters in to the human suffering as Jesus on the cross. But what purpose does suffering serve? On one hand, we may never know. But on the other hand, there are other reasons. One author said, in moving from mere knowledge of God to a deep relationship with God, suffering helps us to progress in our main, in our relationships with God. One of the main ways that we move from an abstract knowledge about God. See, there's a difference between you knowing about God and you truly having a relationship with God. See all the Hebrew children. Hear me very carefully, because I'm about to close, Uh, brother Ashton. You could come. All the Hebrew children knew about God, but the three Hebrew children in the furnace begin all of a sudden had a chance to encounter God in the furnace. So now God becomes a living reality through the furnace of our affliction. Why is this one author said this because us as human beings we are naturally curved into our self. In other words we cannot help ourselves by our very sinful nature we are selfish. So God created us. So how does suffering become the tool Suffering becomes the tool because we can be sure that if we have an infinite, great, powerful, mighty God and believe that He is Jesus. Anybody? Are you with me? How many of you believe that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh? No longer can we say, God You don't understand what I'm going through. God, you don't understand the pain that I'm in. God, you don't understand how forsaken and how lonely that I feel. You just don't understand. No, God can look at you and say, no, I truly do understand. Because I didn't send someone. I came myself in flesh. To die the most agonizing death that could be any death, anything else compared to that. In the the Roman thesaurus and dictionary of cruelty, there was nothing cooler than that. So the God that we feel like is so far, far away is actually right beside you. He's with you. He covers you. He walks with you. And while you're suffering, He understands your suffering. And through that suffering, you know what He's doing? He's, he's making you and I more like Jesus. Are you hearing me? Say, so David, why does this happen? Why, why do tragedies happen? Why are young people taken? Why, are, why does cancer run rampant? Why, why, why? There are a lot of things we'll never know the reason to till eternity. But here's what I do know. While I'm still here walking on this earth, if I'm going through something, as I'm walking on this earth, God's not going to waste what I'm going through. I told this to you a couple weeks ago God did not cause me to fall and break my leg but God is sure not going to waste it. What are you going to learn out of this? I don't know everything I'm going to learn. The first week I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, whatever you're trying to teach me, can we learn it the first week? (laughs) Because I'd sure like to pass the lesson. I sure want to pass the test, Pastor, and not do this again. How many of you have ever been through a trial? Anybody? As you stand tonight. How I many of you be real honest right now, and you're going through something that looks like a trial? Just raise your hand. Come on. Be, just be real honest. Raise your hand. Come on all over this building. This is a safe place. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. There's a God. He hasn't left you. He may seem silent sometimes. I get that. I, I think I can understand that. But that doesn't mean he's not there. And you know what? When you come out of whatever you're going through, you're going to be more like Jesus. I think a lot of the times is we forget when we pray about becoming closer to God. A lot of times the things that bring us closer to God are painful things. Trials. If you're here today, raise your hand one more time. You're going through. Just raise your hand. Could you just take two minutes and walk to the front of this building? We're going to dismiss in two minutes. Sister Kaylee's coming. You're going through. Just be real honest. You're going through. Come on, come on. That's good. That's good. You know, the first thing about us coming out of the other side of a trial is when we're honest about what we're going through. Amen? Amen. Press in just a little bit closer. If you feel comfortable, just put your hand on that person's next, shoulder next to you and we're going to pray. Here's what I'm praying. In the next 24 hours, I'm going to pray a very specific prayer, Pastor. In the next 24 hours. In the next 24 hours from here to 8 o'clock on Thursday night. I'm praying that you have a very definitive encounter with the presence of God. I don't need an answer two weeks from now, Lord. I I need to know you're, you're with me right now. My phone rang yesterday. Somebody I haven't spoken to in years. Years. Walked out of our life. And he said, Brother David. He said, I've been praying for you. I don't know what you're going through. I haven't talked to him in years. And when I say years, I'm talking about not just a year, but years. But he said, I just wanted to call you because the Lord wanted you to know that he's with you and he knows exactly everything that you're going through I'm believing that you're going to have that encounter in the next 24 hours right now in Jesus name Lord whatever <laughs> whatever someone is going through I'm praying that you be real I'm praying for the tangible glory of your power. love mori. We speak a release of encouragement and relief huh. right now in Jesus' name by the authority of the name of Jesus by the authority of the word of God and the blood of Jesus we speak, declare and decree a release of relief right now I pray for courage, I pray for encouragement I pray that the Holy Ghost will begin to breathe right now come on, could you pray for that person right now like you would want them to pray for you right now, breathe Holy Ghost breathe (laughs) Holy Ghost, speak a tangible expression of your power your provision your healing your deliverance right now in jesus name come on all over this place i receive it 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 it right now god is about to step into your chaos God is about to step into your chaos God is about to step into your chaos He's about to bring order to your chaos Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, God Do it, Lord The tangible expression of your glory The tangible expression of your power Right now, breathe on us, Lord Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us, Lord. Right now, deliverance, 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 God. Right now, deliverance, right now. I receive it, Lord. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor, Sister Gwen, come, ladies. I need some mature saints. I need some people's got some faith. Come on, I know we, I know we gotta go. Yeah, if you can go, go,
0: you can go. But I'm, tell, I'm telling you right now, He is in this room. Yes. I'm telling you, if you gotta go, we understand, right? We get it. But I'm telling you, a faithful God is in this yes. room to meet us right where we are. In the name of Jesus. Brother Jesus. David, I'm not hijacking you, brother. Go, I'm go. in agreement with go, you. Go. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus.
1: I just want you to lay right hands on
0: somebody's shoulder and tell them God is faithful. Right Come now. On, tell them God is faithful. Speak it tell right them, now. Speak it right now to speak them. It right now. Them. In the name of Jesus. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Right. Come on, right. speak right. over right. them right. the right. faithfulness right. of God come on speak over them you can trust in this shield you can trust in this butler you can trust in this god hallelujah you don't have to have made a perfect a on your report card he's still faithful he still loves you he's still gonna honor his side of his covenant In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. On the authority of that name, God. I'm walking out tonight, Lord, with the peace in my spirit, knowing that you are faithful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! If you're watching online, I'm here to tell you that there is a God that can transcend from a room to your bedroom, to your living yes. room. Yes. In the name of the Lord, we serve a God that is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Come on, somebody, cry out to your covenant-keeping God. You're all I want, Lord. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. Yes, you you will see a Sunday, don't miss Sunday but if you're here, I just feel like there's someone here today that would like to have like for us to lay hands and pray for you I believe that God wants to meet you here right now, if you're here and you want us to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you right now, I believe that God wants to do something there's such a tangible glory of God's presence in this room if you gotta go, we love you invite somebody to join you this Sunday at 10, we're gonna have a great day If you can stay, stay. God's still doing a mighty work right now.